Straighten out, Chaser. Should have ran it three times. Why did you? I just didn't. Anything that is that an issue with the play calling in the moment? If after the game you're realizing I should have done something that you didn't do, then um, I should have called more of a direct run. What happened on the fourth and nine play call? Uh, bad call. Play, did you want that play call? Yes, I wanted that play call. And what was your thinking on that? It just didn't work. It was a bad call. Why go for it there, Freddie? Uh, we're trying to win the game. We're on that side of the field. Bad call. Talking Cleveland Browns football with the best fans in all of SB Nation. Not quite normal, but we're getting there. Ready to go to 60 minutes, go all the way, go toe to toe with them. Start grinding through it here. You're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. My Dogs by Nature family, I hope this transmission finds you well. My name is Thelonious7, and you're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. Ahead, Jacob Luke joins us from the Baltimore Beatdown. Oh, I just said Baltimore. We're going to cover three major storylines going into this Sunday's game against the Greater Chesapeake Ravens. Finally, we're going to focus on five teams in the Greater AFC that have relevance to the Browns in their postseason aspirations. We'll round things up looking at the top five Browns on offense and defense and then getting into the specific matchups for this game against the Ravens. But before we get to all that, let's get to the straight truth for this week's show. The straight truth for this week's show is know whose opinion matters. Now, in the past, the first week of the show, the straight truth for the week was America needs Cleveland. We talked about what actually Cleveland represented. We talked about Steve Miocic. Oh! The second week, we talked about how the media loves controversy. You know, I think sometimes, I learned a long time ago, I think sometimes uh, media chases controversy and players chase stats, all right? And both of them equal the same thing, and it equals money, all right? And, and I think that's where we're at with that story, you know? There's no controversy. There's no friction. Week three, we talked about experience being that cruel teacher, that test first teach a second. Freddie got his first real test from that evil teacher named Experience. You see the score of the game. It's a seven point loss and that's really the actual lesson. But the morning after the game I woke up to hear Freddie Kitchen's press conference. And I don't know how fans take this kind of questioning but it sounded like the local media was feeding on controversy like it was some kind of a carcass. Should have ran it three times. I just didn't. Anything that is that an issue with the play calling in the moment? If after the game you're realizing I should have done something that you didn't do, then um, I should have called more of a direct run. What happened on the fourth and nine play call? Uh, bad call. Play, did you want that play call? Yes, I wanted that play call. And what was your thinking on that? It just didn't work. It was a bad call. Why go for it there, Freddie? Uh, we're trying to win the game. We're on that side of the field. Bad call. This line of questioning is about the play caller controversy. Started this offseason with questions about Monken and Kitchens having friction. 
they both talked about it directly. They talked about it with him in the booth. And basically, they haven't stopped talking about it the entire time. Well, we all saw what happened Sunday. And we all know that it sucked. It sucked to watch. I hated watching the end of that game. But personally, I'm in an odd place about this entire story. You know, if things are going wrong and you're in the media, you should be able to ask the coach difficult questions. You know, you should be able to ask them the questions that all the fans want to know the true answers to. But when I listen to this line of questioning, and, I, you guys, and you guys have to go back and listen to the press conference to yourself because the clip that I played is a bit sped up. In my opinion, that's not what's happening. I feel like we're witnessing a vivisection right there. I feel like Coach Kitchens gave an honest effort on the field. I felt like his guys fought. They made some poor choices. And the thing is, he was very ready to admit his flaws and his mistakes. He was very open to the fact that there was something wrong with what happened in the game. That really is all that a coach needs to do in a situation like this. Whether every single thing that goes wrong needs to be questioned and scrutinized in the moment right after the game is over... It's a totally different matter to me. I don't think that's what the media is necessarily there for. I think it's controversial to kick a person when they're down. But you're not going to hear anybody talk about this controversy. In any case, Freddie Kitchens is definitely an embattled coach. He struggled with the vultures in the press conference, but he definitely recovered in the next few days. You know, a guy like that is definitely going to struggle with failure and emotions. And that's something that I really appreciated about the discussion that I had with Engraven Bids. He did bring up the emotional aspect to coaching and to football in general. And that is, a, is a definitely a true thing when it comes to Freddie Kitchens. He's an emotional guy. And when a guy like that, an emotional guy who's going to be responsible for a team and for a culture... When he's going to answer the questions like this, it's going to hurt him. He's going to be tougher than the do. And I appreciate the fact that he was able to rebound later on in the week and put on a little bit better face uh, for, the, for the front of the team. But definitely at the time, he was the embodiment of that frustration. And I really appreciate him going through that and giving that to us. If Freddie Kitchens is anything, he's honest. And again, for me, going after someone who's honest and forthright in their responses, it seems like a waste of time for me. But, but once the emotion was finally dissipated, once he was himself again, and he was able to see what was right and wrong about the situation and was able to feel where the problems truly lied, he kind of started that process of dealing with and filtering through the noise. Moral leaders do this well, and they establish that in their culture. And look, hate the Browns all you want. The Browns are one and two. And right now, all that matters is record. What he's done now isn't good enough. Freddie Kitchens knows that and he's accountable for it. Whether he can fix it or not remains to be seen. But Freddie Kitchens needs to double down on what got him there. If you don't wear orange and brown, you don't matter. That's who matters. The people in the building, the people who are doing and correcting and fixing what's wrong. That's who matters here. And that's what you need to focus on. Focus on yourself. Focus on your own identity. Focus on who you are. Don't worry about the noise. It's just noise. It's just noise. People don't appreciate the honesty of Freddie Kitchens enough. 
Eventually, what's going to happen is every single coach's interview is going to sound like not quite normal, but we're getting there. Ready to go 60 minutes, go all the way, go toe to toe with them, we'll start grinding through it here. The noise obviously doesn't matter for Bill anymore. When we get back, we'll talk with Jacob Locke from the Baltimore Beatdown. We'll talk about the duel of the super sophomore quarterbacks and the injury reports going into the game. You're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. For this week seems to be the embattled Freddie Kitchens. It's not even a real story in some way. It seems like in some part a media concoction. I mean there is a real story to it and we're going to get to that aspect of it. The play calling of Freddie Kitchens a little bit later in the show as we talk about the Browns in this matchup. But the story about the duel between these two super sophomore quarterbacks it's a legitimate story and it's going to be one that we're going to look at very closely this Sunday in the game. Now, it was the same last week when Miles Garrett and Aaron Donald kind of showed down in a game where you're trying to see who was the best player in the defense. In the end, when you look at this game, it's not really about the matchup between the players on the field because they're not going to be going against each other, obviously. But make no mistake, this game is a battle between two of the best young quarterbacks in the AFC. The one who emerges victorious this day has the inside track to capturing the AFC North. And the AFC North <laughs> has changed about as much as any division could change within the first three weeks of a season. Here to give us his opinion on how he sees the AFC North shaking out, we have Jacob Luck from our own SB Nation affiliate. Well, I don't know how I thought about you know where the Ravens would be after three games, I definitely thought that they would be at two and one. And I saw these games shaking out pretty much how they have uh, with them blowing out Miami, taking care of business against Arizona and losing to Kansas City in a close one. I am a bit surprised by the way the Browns have started. I thought they were going to get off to two and one, taking care of business against the Titans. That did not obviously take place. They're off to one and two, a little bit of a rough start. The Steelers, I don't remember looking at their schedule too much, but I thought they were going to be right in the mix there as well. 0-3 is surprising to me for them. Cincy, they're a little bit of a write-off for me. I'm not surprised at all that they are winless at the moment. After three games of data, um, it's only the first quarter of the season, but I would probably say I have the Ravens taking the AFC North right now. Obviously, Sunday is going to be huge in determining my thoughts on that. Not totally sure at the moment, but uh, yeah, I just think after three games, the Ravens have probably looked the most consistent, so... I would go with them, especially with the home game against the Browns coming up on Sunday. Jake's opinion is in line with the national narrative. And it's in line with Vegas, too. Cleveland has to go on the road in a hostile environment. They're traveling to the greater Chesapeake region, the crab cake capital of the world. And I don't even want to say the name of that city. They got to go somewhere very dark, even though it's 1 p.m., and they have to fight through omens through pondering weak and weary and through the nevermores. 
Baker Mayfield hasn't been on this show nearly enough, but this week he's fighting against the perception that he's underperforming. The Browns got off to a rough start this year and Mayfield has played a role in that. Todd Monken has to answer a lot of questions this year about Baker's performance in the pocket. Improvisation is part of Baker's game. How have you seen him kind of balance when he should be leaving the pocket as opposed to sticking in and trying to make the throws? Have you seen him get out of there too early sometimes? Well, again, it's, uh, it's hard to speak for him in terms of what he sees, in terms of what's in front of him. And I don't mean that, I don't mean seeing in terms of protection-wise, just what he sees, or is there leakage, is there a route that, you know, ends up not in a particular position. So, um, again, he's, I think he's a guy that's been good in the pocket, but he's also a guy that's been elite when he does escape. So, again, a guy with that kind of ability and trying to make a play at times ends up escaping you know, and getting outside the pocket, trying to make a play. And again, there's a number of reasons, number of reasons that goes, goes into that. If he takes off whenever he feels it's best, you're okay with him getting outside and trying to... Well, play. I don't know about that. You, you left that open-ended of, uh, you know, whenever he feels best is a little bit of a stretch, I would say. But again, he's the one that has to play the position. I'm not out there playing it. So again, are there times with every quarterback that we've ever been around where you'd like them hanging hang in the pocket? Of course. There's times when they hang in the pocket and you go, God, I wish they would could escape, for God's sakes. So that's that's not it's not an easy answer. It's you know, there's times any quarterback you want him to be in the pocket longer, and there's times where you'd go, Wow, it'd be great if he could escape and make some plays on the move. This press conference seemed a little off to me. I mean, if you were to go back and listen to it, and I actually would not recommend you going back and listening to Monkin's press conference because He's basically spends a whole time kind of deflecting the idea that there's any kind of struggle with his offense. And um, I, I don't know if it's at this point where he's decided that he's not going to give the media anything to work with, so he's not going to say anything of any importance, or he's going to give them very little to work with. However, when I kind of listen to this piece specifically, there's one little piece, one little section that kind of through the lines, telegraphs what he really wants to say about Baker Mayfield. I'm not out there playing it, so again... Yeah, I'm the offensive coordinator, but I'm not actually out there playing the games. So when you're asking why the offense is underperforming, which it's not, it's not underperforming, you're not struggling. But if you are asking why it's whatever you want to say it is, it's because of that guy who I don't control. <laughs> okay little pause there in this response between us if i have to pick between monkin and kitchens i'm picking kitchens okay that minor point aside one thing that really sticks out to me is that the team does seem to appear to have given the ball to six if you will they trust him with the well-being of this offense and they continue to put the ball in his hands in critical situations the off the field leadership skills seem to be off the charts for Baker Mayfield. I mean, listen to how he's handling the outside noise and the way that he responds to the pressure. This guy relishes the underdog role. Baker, Fred talked about blocking out all of the noise. Is that easy to do? Um, you know, I think it's something that you, you really have to, have to be conscious of uh, because you're, you're surrounded in an environment where uh, you hear a lot of things, you know, stuff pops up on your phone, or stuff's on the TV. 
or I mean, it's just people talk. It's so uh, you just have to make a conscious decision, you know, to, to protect your locker room and, and take care of your guys and, and block out the negative stuff. And you know, when when they're patting you on the back, that's to me that's even worse. I think that Mayfield almost prefers his back against the wall. I think he's also exhibited a sense of purpose and focus uh, coming into this week's matchup too. Um, I think being singular focus on the week ahead, you know, the most important game is this next one. You know, we, we watched the film, we've talked about, you know, the mistakes and stuff we needed to talk about. So you correct that and then you move forward. And so I think being focused on the goal, at, you know, and the task at hand, uh, I think is very important. He's saying all the right things, but this is a critical game this week. Both in terms of for the division and also in terms for the confidence of this team. Um, it's easy to imagine the level of stress and questioning coming from the media after the team opens up maybe 1-3, 1-4, 1-5. When Baker still isn't performing at the level that we all expected him to perform at when we started this year. On the other side of this fence... We have Lamar Jackson, the other one of the super sophomores in this game this Sunday. Let's hear what Lamar Jackson has to say going into this game. What does the feel for you not throwing interceptions? Uh, keeping the ball in our hands. Uh, trying to score points. Um, yeah, keeping it out of the other um, opponent's hands. That's my job. I'm not trying to throw any interceptions. Don't jinx me, dog. Dang. I don't want to get jinxed. <laughs> I know we need a touchdown. Uh, I had to make a miss. I'm one on one. Um, I like my chances um, over anyone one on one. And uh, you know, we just focus on ourselves. You know, um, we waited till it came to the, you know the week of the Browns, and this week is the Browns, so that's our focus. And that's when we you know we just do us. You know. Uh, I ain't care, you know. Um, I just worry about the Ravens. I don't really care about other teams. I, I don't, so I really didn't care at all. And that's the, they're supposed to hype themselves up, you know, because we're going to hype ourselves up, but we're just not going to do it, you know, out of the ordinary. Yeah. You know, I have a really odd fascination with Lamar Jackson. I probably should just admit it to myself now. I, I wasn't on board with drafting him or anything like this. I always admired his talent. I didn't know if he was going to be a quarterback. Uh, in terms of his throwing ability, not so much his ability, because the dude has like a rocket for an arm. It just seems like some of his accuracy issues were significant hurdles for him to overcome. But I don't know. The last thing he said, <laughs> kind of describing the Browns or maybe insinuating that the Browns were hyping themselves up or doing something out of the ordinary, and that's something the Ravens didn't do. Man... It sounds like he's spoiling for a fight. <laughs> this was, this is a real, you know, I really would be excited when this becomes a serious, serious bloodthirsty rivalry, the way that some of the rivalries were in the past in the AFC North. I mean, football's an emotional game. I got to see how I feel after this game is over. They might not have to win this game, but it should be pretty clear by the end of this game what the path is for them to make the playoffs in some way, the, the identity, the types of things they have to do to be successful should be clear and whether or not it looks like it's feasible or it could happen you'll know it after this game for sure we're gonna take another quick break here but after that we'll hear more from jacob Locke. we're gonna focus on five and we're gonna preview the matchup for the sunday's big game you're listening to straight no chaser 
on Dogs by Nature. stretch of division game starting with the Cleveland Browns at home uh, that's always very important uh, the division is where it starts and uh, we know these teams they know us and uh, Cleveland's done a great job and we've watched them on tape very talented very hard playing football team very physical and uh, it's going to be a heck of a matchup on Sunday that is of course greater Chesapeake coach John Harbaugh Jacob Block talked a little bit about what John Harbaugh means to this organization. Point, he means a lot to this franchise. I mean, he's been here for the last 11 years. He's only the third coach in franchise history. He's had a ton of success, won a Super Bowl. So uh, he means a ton to us um, as a fan base, and he means a ton to the franchise. Coach Harbaugh and his boys have a couple of key injuries coming into this week's game. They've got six guys listed on the injury report. Most notably, Jimmy Smith is listed as out for this game, along with Otoro Alaka and Brendan Trawick. Earl Thomas seems to be a full go, and as well as um, Mark Andrews, who looks to be limited in the last uh, day of practice. The Cleveland Browns had 14 people on the injury report. While Kendall Lamb is the only one listed as out, it looks as if Rashad Higgins and Morgan Burnett won't be able to make it. Demarius Randall seems like he's going to be back for this week, so that's some positive news, as well as Darius Taylor, who looks like he might be able to go. As of the time of this recording, it looks like Greedy Williams, Denzel Ward, Sheldrick Redwine, also Rashad Higgins, Morgan Burnett, and Kendall Lamb will not be able to make it for this game. There are a few other people that are a little bit questionable, including Chris Hubbard, We'll see what happens when we get closer to game time Sunday. The injury bug has played a huge role in this team's development this season so far. I mean, the guys we mentioned who already aren't there are a, an important point, but that's not including guys on the IR like David Njoku. He um, is incredibly missed, especially in those red zone situations uh, when you have four downs with four receivers going out and not one of them has a physical advantage like David Njoku. Losing Njoku uh, <laughs> cost the Browns a lot of production on the field. And I think the team, they, they couldn't get Rashard Higgins back soon enough. The Browns have overcome these kind of obstacles on defense, and hopefully they can get the same kind of results on the offense as well. Injuries in an organization really test the team's depth and uh, really team construction. Earlier, I told you that there's no point in listening to the Monken interview in its entirety, and I was mistaken. There is one point in which a media member asked him a question about team construction, which I thought was kind of interesting. Can I ask a follow-up? The fact that you have no lead blocker on this team right now, does that affect your game planning and strategy? Well, sure it does, but that isn't... Um a reason why we can't execute better. But you're right, if you don't have a fullback, that does limit certain things. I mean, we've, we're working Farrow into that role a little bit, but obviously it's, uh, it's got nothing to do with the way we've executed up till this point. 
from fullbacks to focus on five. Straight No Chaser getting ready for the game on Sunday. Last week in picking the focus on five games, we were a perfect 5-0. This week we only have four traditional matchups, so we're going to have to add another one. We're adding the Houston Texans game. The Houston Texans this week are hosting the Carolina Panthers. And they're a four and a half point favorite at home. I see the Texans easily taking this game, especially with Cam Newton's status in question. I feel that the Texans are now on the verge of becoming one of the teams we have to start looking at on a week-to-week basis. Uh, it seems like they've overcome some of the tumult of the offseason, and now they're starting to round into form, and I don't know. The other team we could have added to the focus on five this week, it's surprising Colts who sit at 2-1 as they take on the Oakland Raiders this weekend. Uh, But for the most part, I think we're good with the pick that we have with Houston. I think Houston probably the team likely to emerge. You you never know about Jacoby Brissett and the Colts. I'm a big Jacoby Brissett fan, and I think that back in the rebuilding process, if the Browns would have been able to somehow get Brissett instead of Cody Kessler... Maybe we're talking about a Hugh Jackson era that actually meant something, right? On to the next game and the focus. We have the Patriots taking on the surprising 3-0 Bills. That game happening in Buffalo. Let's hear from Patrick, sorry, Patrick Mahomes. Let's hear from my boy Josh Allen. Getting things together and providing hopefully some measure of resistance to the Franken team. From Foxborough. We got one goal that can win. You shoot, I shoot with you. Here we go. Win on three. One, two, three. Josh Allen definitely fired up for last week's game against the Bengals, and the Bills were able to fight through that one. This week, though. Yeah, definitely. He's, he's like a running back. He breaks tackles, and he's got good speed, good power, and he's shifty. And he avoids and, and breaks a lot of tackles. So. Um, yeah, it's another, another dimension, uh, sixth receiver in the passing game, if you will, and um, you know, it gives another blocker in the running game when they have designed run plays for him. So they've hit a lot of critical times, a lot of big plays, touchdowns, red area, third down conversions, things like that. So uh, they, they use them in, in some uh, timely ways, um, well-designed plays that you know, create problems to the defense. But he's... You know, he's um, as that element to their their offense and they've used it very effectively yeah i love how bill belichick essentially refers to josh allen as a glorified fullback tight end wide receiver basically anything but a quarterback right yeah i wouldn't be surprised for bill belichick to 40 and slip in there a tim tebow reference or something right well although this game looks like it's pretty clear on paper i mean New England's going into Buffalo a seven-point favorite. I really feel strongly about the Buffalo Bills in this situation, and I don't even think that the Bills are actually better than the Patriots. I'm not sure that the Bills are actually going to beat the Patriots. I don't know if I can go on record and saying I think they're going to win, but I can say right now that I'm picking them to cover the spread against the, the, the um, Patriots in their own house, and it wouldn't shock me at all if somehow some way that defense and that gritty offense found a way to keep <laughs> undefeated surprisingly so in the AFC East so far we have the Texans winning the Bills covering and now we get to our third game 
the Kansas City Chiefs are traveling to Detroit to take on the Lions. That game is going to be a 1 o'clock start on Fox. Kansas City is a 7-point favorite. Let's hear how Patrick Mahomes is thinking about this matchup. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they play physical football. They, they play a lot of man coverage. They, they really got up in everybody's face, and then they, they stopped the run game for the most part. And I think the biggest thing they did against the Eagles was they capitalized on turnovers, and, and I think that was a big thing that they, they focus on is trying to get that ball out. If it's interceptions or if it's trying to strip the ball from the, the guys running with it, uh, that's a big thing that they, they, they capitalize on, and so we're going to try to protect the ball and move the ball down the field. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, um, the thing with uh, playing this opponent is, I mean, we've played the Patriots a couple times, and, and Patricia was there that, that my rookie season uh, with the Patriots. So you're able to look back at stuff they did against us then, and then all the way to the stuff they do now versus the teams that play similar offenses that we that we have. And so I think just preparing that way, I mean, obviously when you get to the field, it'll be a little different, not being a team that you've played before, but I'm still preparing myself in order to have success whenever I get out there. Looking back at the tape, the Lions sitting at 2-1, and one, but I don't necessarily see their defense really providing much of a roadblock for anything that Patrick Mahomes and his boys are about to do to them this Sunday. Like I said, seven points. I definitely think that the Kansas City Chiefs will be able to do that and then some. Maybe I see it like it being a 17 to 21 point game affair for the in the Chiefs' favor. Now let's get back to the AFC North in our last two games and the focus on five. We're going to talk about the first games in the AFC North. To start off, we have the Queen City Kitties traveling to the greater Allegheny region to take on the Steelers. This game is going to be a Sunday night affair. Pittsburgh, a three-point favorite at home. This is probably the hardest game of the week for me to pick, and that's not even talking about the next game that we're coming up to with the Browns and the Ravens. They have games against two common opponents both the uh, Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers. They played them both. They, of course, lost to both of them since both of the teams are sitting at 0-3. It seems like if I could pick one little advantage from the information we have thus far, it seems like Cincinnati is going to play better on the road. I don't know if that means that they're going to find enough uh, effort or skill or anything to beat the Steelers in catch-up field, but... We will certainly see this Sunday. That three-point line seems so, so close. I almost want to call it a push and say that Pittsburgh wins by a field goal. And the line is exactly right. But in this case, I think I'm going to have to go with a close game where the Bengals are covering the spread. Ugh. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm picking a Bengals win here. I just think that the Bengals are going to represent themselves well on the road. And, well, I mean, we're going to have to see. This is going to be a charged environment for sure. And I uh, I don't want to be anywhere near catch-up field if, if the Northern Kentucky Bengals find a way to win that game. Of course, your Cleveland Browns traveling to the Mid-Atlantic region to take on the Ravens in a highly anticipated opening salvo in what could be a huge battle for the AFC North. Turning with Chris Pocorny on the main page of Dogs by Nature, we see the position by position evaluation. Now, from the jump, he's listed Lamar Jackson as having an advantage over Baker Mayfield. 
And I just historically through the first three weeks of the season, I can understand where he's coming from on this one. In his piece, he actually acknowledges that Mayfield is struggling while also still believing in him. And I think that's where we are on this as well. At running back, Pokorny calls the matchup even. Even though, in my opinion, I think Nick Chubb probably is the best running back of all involved in the game Sunday. I think he's referring to the aspect that Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards have been pretty productive this year for the Ravens so far. I still think that on paper, Nick Chubb is the best uh, running back, one of the best running backs in the league right now. At wide receiver and tight end, he finds a way to give the advantage to the Browns, and I think I understand where he's coming from. Marquise Brown, Willie Sneed, our old buddy Willie Sneed. The guys certainly make up a talented group. However, they don't have the experience and the production historically as the Browns have. And looking at who they're going to put out at wide receiver, the Browns with Odo Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, they definitely will have an advantage over an inexperienced group like this. In the trenches, he gives the advantage to the Ravens' offensive line, and I can't say that I blame him for that. Ronnie Stanley, uh, Marshall Yonda, and Orlando Brown Jr. round up a very solid core for the Ravens. At the same time, the Browns' defensive line gets the advantage over the Ravens' defensive line. Of course, they have a lot of good guys on that defensive front still with Brandon Williams, Michael Pierce, and Chris Wormley. But Miles Garrett being all over the place, Olivier Vernon looking to get back into shape, I feel like the Browns defensive line definitely has a strong advantage when we break down the actual game matchups. The secondaries of both of these squads are very banged up. We mentioned before Ward and Greedy Williams likely out for this game. And when it comes to special teams, we all know Justin Tucker could kick the ball from outside of the stadium. And with the Browns and experience there uh, in the kicking game, I definitely see the Bengals having a slight advantage in this regard. Looking closer at this game, you can see that the Browns defense is going to have their hands full dealing with what's going on with Lamar Jackson. We asked Jacob Luke if we thought that the league was catching up with the offense. And uh, the short answer is no. I don't think they're really catching up to anything. I just think he got a little caught up in the heat of the moment on Sunday against Kansas City. It was a huge game, obviously, and that, that'll rattle the psyche of pretty much any player. But for one thing, he didn't have a wire-to-wire bad game. He had a bad first half, and then I think he pulled it together a little bit, made some magic type of plays, video game type of plays, like you were saying there. And uh, he pulled it really close. So, no, I'm not too concerned about that. I think Greg Roman knows what he's doing, and I trust the talent on this offense. I also asked Jake if he felt that there was an identity in this team that had emerged and whether or not that offense had a nickname that we would all come to know in the near future. Speaking of the offense, you asked if they have a nickname. Not officially, but my co-host Spencer uh, calls it the Power Pistol or the Desert Eagle, um, if you get that reference. Uh, good for you, you had a childhood. Um, so yeah, Desert Eagle, I guess, would be the one that we call it, but that hasn't really caught on. We might have to have Jake back on to clarify his Desert Eagle reference. Uh, clearly, he thinks that Lamar Jackson in the Ravens offense is some kind of a handgun. And we'll see how they will fare this weekend <laughs> as they battle against a real life-size T-Rex. Miles Garrett in the Browns defensive line.
And if I think that there's an advantage for the Browns this week in the game, I think it's going to be what happens with the Browns defense, with the Ravens offense. Jacob doesn't see it trending as a league catching up to Lamar Jackson. But I don't think that Jackson's faced a defense like what he's going to encounter in the Cleveland Browns this Sunday. I think that if the Ravens don't win this game, it will have been because they didn't produce enough on offense. Injuries being what it was for this defense, the top three players are still the same as they've been for a while. It's Miles Garrett, Joe Schobert, Larry Ogunjobi. Last week it was TJ Carey and Mac Wilson joining the parade. And I feel like this defense, even with the injuries, still finding a way to retain that identity. Now on the offensive side of the ball, the top five Browns has been in flux for the entire season. Last week, we had Nick Chubb being the top player with Baker number two, OBJ third, Batonio fourth, and Bradley fifth. We have to see if we can get Baker back in the top position. And in this week's game, I think they have a chance to show something and put him back where he belongs as the guy you want to give the ball to in a critical situation. Um, thus far, I mean, and you know, Jake Burns um, from another network also discussed the way that he felt that Mayfield has been underperforming for quite some time. He mentioned that he didn't see Baker winning any games in the last minute supporting those comeback victories that NFL teams need to win in close games. This week, Baker Mayfield revisits the site of a critical Week 17 loss uh, in which C.J. Mosley intercepted him on the final play of the game, the final relevant play of the game that is. We'll see if this time Baker has something a little different, can respond in a better way and to put his team in a better position to come out with a W on the road. Now, let's get to the actual predictions of the game. We'll start with Jake from the beatdown. I think these are two closely matched teams. Cleveland is very talented. I think you guys stand a good chance to turn things around here. But uh, I'm predicting with the Ravens being at home and them getting off to a pretty good start uh, despite a loss against Kansas City, but you know, it's one of the best teams in the league, so what are you gonna do? I think they're off to a good enough start where you're at home, you're against a team that's struggling, and you have a good chance to uh, just go ahead and get it done. So I'm gonna have the Ravens winning this one 27 to 23. I think the Browns do put up some points here and maybe you know show some signs of getting this offense turned around because God knows they have the talent at the skill positions, but uh, yeah, I'm expecting 23, 27, 23 Ravens win on Sunday, uh, getting them up to 3-1, and one, dropping the Browns to 1-3, and three, and uh, turning sights to the Steelers and Bengals game and hoping that they can both freaking lose that thing, but obviously that can't happen. So, uh, yeah, we're going to come out of the AFC North with uh, one team likely winless and one team likely at 1-3, and three. and I know you guys are hoping you can take care of business, so there will be two teams at 2-2, two and two, but uh, like I said, that's not the way I see it happening. I see the Ravens getting it done, going to 3-1. and one. Jake, uh, definitely appreciate the viewpoint. Um, love having you on the show in general. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to you again uh, when you guys come into Cleveland. But as far as your prediction goes, I, I'm going to have to go on the opposite side on this one. I feel like, yeah, ultimately, Lamar Jackson hasn't faced a defense like Cleveland's yet. I think that Cleveland is going to have to limit them running the football at the beginning and keeping them out of the red zone. As they are able to do this and limit their progression, I think that they can limit that offensive uh, production to somewhere around 21 points. And as long as the Browns are able to do what they need to do, which is to score about 24 points, I think that they can be good to win this game. 
I'm picking the score to be 24-21. Cleveland eking out a three-point victory on the road. To be honest, I'm not really so clear about the point totals. I'm just more clear about the margin of victory. I just feel like it's about three points in Cleveland's favor. And that's, yeah, going on the road as well in a hostile environment. That's, I think Mac Wilson's going to make a play on defense. I, th I think that in deep, the defense is going to show you. It's going to be the defense in, in, in great measure that sets the tone for this game and really does what it takes to put the Cleveland in a winning position. Man, I'm late as what? So with that, we'll put this one in the books. Thanks for taking time to make sure no chaser and the Sunday morning post a part of your day. I will be back next week with the opposition position. Once again, my name is Thelonious7. You're listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature. Take care, go Browns, and dog check. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser on Dogs by Nature.